So my entire family, my mom, grandmother, dad, stepmother, they were all teachers, all educators their entire lives, retired in their 70s. That's Emily Cole from Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Guess what she does for a living? I've been teaching for 10 years. Um, Currently, I'm just teaching math and science to my fifth graders. Back in March, she said goodbye to her 52 fifth grade students as they left for spring break. She was expecting to see them all again in a week. Then her school decided that it wasn't safe for students to come back. I was truly crushed, like when they made that final, final announcement of we're not going back at all. This is this is it. Because um, I loved that group of kids so much. It really felt like a family. I feel like that's such a cliche. And maybe it is kind of cliched, but Emily really invests in her students. I could tell when she told me about the day she had to go clean up their classroom on campus by herself. I just had to throw all their stuff away. Like, because it was, it's, they just left in March, like, have a great spring break, enjoy wherever you're going. And then it was like frozen in time. I had to go back and throw it away. And in fifth grade, you know, that's your last year of primary school. So we have so many events. We do like this huge barbecue. I have this tradition where I tie dye shirts with my class every year. And it was just like all these traditions I didn't get to do with this group. And they all were looking so forward to it because they know this is it in fifth grade, you know, all the stuff will happen at the end of the year. And none of it did. Emily's school helped families adapt quickly by sending laptops and Wi-Fi hotspots to every home. And thanks to all the work Emily had done already, her students were able to at least finish their school year. But this year, she's teaching an entirely new set of 52 fifth graders, or as she calls them, her scholars. And Emily has almost no shared history with them. So much of my instruction comes from getting to know the kids, being able to read them, just seeing them walk into the classroom every day. I can tell who's having a good day, who's having a bad day. Who can I help come out of their shell a little bit that day? So many of those social cues are going to be completely lost. And I, you know, don't want them to give up on day one. This is Networked, the 5G Future, a podcast from Verizon and T-Brand at the New York Times. I'm Christina Warren. As a reporter and analyst, I've spent years covering how technology changes the way we work, play, and connect online. Throughout this series, I'll be learning how this new generation of wireless technology could pave the way for some major advances in every part of our lives, from health to transportation to sports. In this episode, I'm checking in with educators who could use 5G to give real-time feedback, foster relationships between classmates, and immerse students in their lessons through augmented reality. It sounds obvious, but the first step to the digital classroom is an internet connection. Which brings me back to Emily Cole, the fifth grade science teacher in Texas. Many of her students don't have reliable access to broadband. So I just feel like there's going to be so many dropped connections and they're going to get frustrated. They're going to think, oh, she kicked me out or it's over or they just won't know how to get back in. Their parents may or may not be home to help them. And so it's, I feel like so much of the time it will be lost to just, just trying to log in and stay in the Zoom meeting. Then once she does get connected to her students, Emily finds it really hard to give feedback the way she wants to. She's missing a ton of information about what the kids are understanding or how they're feeling. 
math is really going to be so challenging because I'm not going to be able to correct their work and show them where they're making mistakes. And also, I do something called aggressive monitoring, which is where I walk around the room the entire lesson. And so I can immediately stop and intervene if it's something that the majority of scholars are not understanding. Um, And I just won't have that same interaction. So much of what a teacher does is in these little moments, the hundreds of thousands of interventions to keep students engaged and moving forward. But the tech tools we have right now just aren't built for this. Real-time feedback is the most important instructional tool to give to kids. I mean, you get so much just from looking at kids um, and seeing their expressions in the classroom, <laughs> you know, and it's just going to be a challenge because I'm going to be like sharing my screen and then I can only see like four of the kids. And while Emily is doing her best to keep tabs on everyone's academic work, She's also struggling with how to build a classroom culture with her new group of scholars. So I think one of the greatest challenges going into the school year is not having that face-to-face interaction in the classroom in order to build relationships with the scholars, have scholars build relationships with each other, really create like a feeling and excitement around our classroom and learning, being able to support each other. I mean, the kids do almost as much teaching as I do sometimes. Um, if their you know friend or table mate doesn't understand something, they're all so willing to just stop what they're doing and be like, hey, this is how I solved it. Let me help you. Emily is doing virtual lunches with her students having show-and-tell on video, and putting in a lot of extra work to help these kids feel like they're still part of the same class. But technology has a long way to go before she has a seamless connection with them. Which means, for now, educators are working overtime to recreate that real-time learning process that teachers spend years or decades mastering in person. To learn how 5G could help teachers interact with students and build stronger social ties in online classes, I called Dr. Ashok Goyle, a professor of computer science at Georgia Tech. Ashok, hi, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, Christina. My pleasure to talk with you. It's great that you are a professor at Georgia Tech. I was born and raised in Atlanta, so... uh, Oh, you're one of us. I am, I am. As we got to know each other, I learned that Ashok is a third-generation teacher, just like Emily Cole. But he might be best known for inventing an artificial intelligence teaching assistant named Jill Watson, which he first used in 2016 to help him teach a computer science class entirely online. So I was teaching this online course, which had 200 students in it. Um, I had a teaching team, and these 200 students were asking questions left, right, and center. And my team was totally overwhelmed answering their routine questions. We didn't know how to answer them because we didn't have the time to answer them. So it made sense to build an automated teaching assistant that could answer some of the questions um, that the students were asking, the routine, frequently asked questions, and it worked well. I mean, I think when a lot of people are used to hearing about this sort of technology, they think about it being used to replace teachers. But that's not really what you're saying. So can you tell me a little bit about what you were discovering when you actually used it on campus? You're exactly right. Uh, There's there's no question of replacing teachers. That's not going to happen. Teachers are uh, extremely special and precious. They cannot be replaced. But we can amplify their voice and we can supplement them. And that's exactly what we found 
Um, Jill Watson was able to answer questions that students were asking, even when all the teachers were asleep. For example, you're in Romania, let's suppose, taking a class, and everyone is Atlanta is sleeping. No, there's no one available to answer your question, but Jill Watson can answer your question. And that makes a huge difference, because if your question is not answered quickly, you likely will move on to something else, and you might feel less motivation and less engagement. Uh, so answering questions quickly, getting feedback quickly is a, a central key to success in learning. Could you give me just kind of a, a list more generally, if you could just of some of the most common questions that people were asking? <laughs> that is uh, amazing. A common question is, uh, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> <laughs> but many of the more common questions are, when is project due? What will be the penalty if I submit it late? All kind of questions that typically have or should have an answer in the syllabus, but don't. So they keep on asking the same questions. And these can all be automated to a fair degree. What kind of technological advances are needed to make Jill Watson work even better? So when you and I are talking, based on your cadence, your notes, the, your voice, um, I change my answer, and I'm sure it's the other way around too, uh, because we can almost instantaneously process each other. That doesn't happen typically with AI technologies because by the time a student gives some feedback to Jill Watson so that Jill Watson can learn from it, a long time has passed by. And one of the strengths of 5G is just better connectivity. So it sounds like the network could play a major role in expanding the effectiveness of AI agents like Jill Watson. Exactly right. Better connectivity and low latency. Low latency in the sense that a hundredth of a second or a thousandth of a second of that order, not three seconds. Three seconds is is too long. For sure. And I have to imagine, too, that there's a sense of urgency oftentimes in some of the nature of the questions. Like if someone is asking when an assignment is due, there's a much greater sense of urgency than asking what's the date of the final if it's, say, you know, the first or second week of the semester. In indeed. You know, everyone's mind is on COVID-19 right now, but what's the basic human need underneath all the challenges in online learning today? Connectivity. Social connectivity, uh, being able to connect to others and feeling a sense of belonging, a sense of community, using that to learn. Consider online education. Uh, 500 students are taking the class, let's suppose in poetry, and these students are scattered all across the world, but this is English language poetry. If it was a physical classroom, then they could get to know each other. They, you, you, you sit next to a student, you start talking, you, you make study groups, you can work in teams, and you form this sort of buddy system that goes on in real campuses. This is just not possible in online classes. So if there are 500 students taking and uh, they are strangers to each other, then one of the biggest difficulties is that they feel a sense of social isolation. And that social isolation then translates into disengagement and a lack of motivation. And that's a very difficult situation to be in, whether you are 15 or 25 or 50, um, social isolation. We all want to have, we all want to belong to a community. You know, it is so true what you say about learning being a social process. And that has to be something that is a big challenge here when we're looking at online models. We've been talking to Emily, who's a fifth grade teacher. And this fall, she started a brand new class where the students don't know each other. They don't know her. They've never met in person. Are there opportunities either with Jill Watson or other AI to 
help foster student relationships? So we have an agent called SAMI, uh, Social Agent Mediated Instruction. To increase a sense of community, SAMI just looks at all these students and their introductions in online classes and does a kind of matchmaking. Um, the three of you live in New York City. Would you like to have a cup of coffee at a, a particular restaurant in New York City? Um, so that is how uh, SAMI tries to build connections. And do you think that that same type of technology with 5G providing that lower latency we were talking about could give students more information about one another so that they know a little bit more about the other people in their class? I think so. And I like that idea. In fact, every year, almost every major university or every major school, including Emily's uh, school, likely runs orientation. And that particular time of orientation, a lot of information is collected about teachers, about students, about uh, all the other stakeholders in the process. If an AI could process all of that information and summarize it, then it can help both the teacher who is going to meet the class for the first time as well as participants in the class. And that is the kind of thing that is within reach of AI, and AI can do it very effectively. When individuals are thinking about using tech to help students learn, what are some things that you think people miss that people don't think about when they're kind of looking at this space? That's a very good question, and and, and I'm going to be uh, frank and blunt about it. Uh, technologists have a tendency of thinking in terms of human-computer interaction. Um, that is a mistake. They miss the point it's humans which are important, and it's human-human interaction which is the key to learning, to success, to happiness. Technology should enable human-to-human -human interaction. It should never replace it. So if there was one thing I would push for, uh, it would be that view where humans are always front and center. Ashok, thank you so much for talking to us about your work and your research. I really, really appreciated your insights. You're most welcome, Christina. It truly has been my pleasure and thank you for asking me. As the school year continues, a lot of us feel stuck trying to use basic tools like video chats just to replicate what teachers and students do in person. But during this transition, there's so much to gain through technologies like Jill Watson that were built with the challenges of online learning in mind. How do we create a future of education where everyone can take advantage of these technologies and get hands-on with what they're learning in a way that really excites them? To find out, I talked with an augmented reality creator who's using 5G to bring immersive learning to the students who need it most. That's after the break. Verizon 5G Edge is the world's first mobile edge computing platform with AWS Wavelength, and it's rolling out in select cities around the country. It's built right, so faster speed and ultra-low latency now come to mobile and connected devices, paving the way for a wide range of transformative applications. The implications for rapid innovation are staggering, and now businesses and developers can harness its power, today and into the future. Verizon 5G Edge is here from the network businesses rely on. Welcome back to Networked, the 5G future. I'm Christina Warren. Speaking with fifth grade teacher Emily Cole and university professor Ashok Goyle gave me a new appreciation for the relationships between students and teachers that truly make learning possible. Those conversations also reminded me that the tech tools that could help us most, including just being online, are out of reach for so many people in this country. Yeah, I think 5G needs to be able to create accessible learning opportunities for students. That's Idris Brewster. 
He's the chief technical officer of Movers and Shakers, a nonprofit organization based in New York. There's a digital divide across the country. The future of learning really lies in remote access to content and materials and not being tied down by physical location. And so this 5G technology can be used to further close this digital divide. I called Idris because he's been building a new augmented reality program that literally gets students moving, thinking, and talking as they learn. Movers and Shakers were one of 10 teams that partnered with Verizon as part of the 5G EdTech Challenge, which was an open call for innovative projects that could use 5G to help students and teachers. We create augmented reality experiences to write black and brown narratives into American curricula. And so our goal here is to be able to shift the nationwide conversation on culturally responsive education. Idris and his team created a story-based curriculum for underserved students called Unsung. When we met, I asked Idris about where the vision for Unsung came from. Growing up, I went to like a predominantly white institution um, from kindergarten all the way till I graduated in 12th grade. And so they kind of gave us a, a white perspective of the history without even bringing in any other nuance or perspectives from communities of color, people that looked like us. We learned about Christopher Columbus, but we didn't learn about the Taino slaves at the bottom of his boats. Right. And you're reminding me how important it is for students to be exposed to that full history of America and like the people who've been erased from it. So can you tell me more about the specific historical figures that you're bringing to students? So those figures are Odetta Holmes, who's the voice of the civil rights movement, Ella Shepard, who's the leader of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, and she was the woman who brought Negro spirituals into the public sphere. Florence Mills created the first Broadway play that had an all-black cast. And Tiny Davis, who was the leader of the International House of Sweethearts of Rhythm, which is the first integrated all-women's band. And so I know that this is more than just presenting historical profiles, right? Can you tell me more about the interactive layers of Unsung? So there's two folds to the experience. There's the workbook where all the learning is happening. They are hitting all the common core standards. They're reading through passages. They're answering short answer questions and essay questions. But then we wanted to extend the learning beyond just the textual element. And so they can take the tablet up and when they point it at the table, they'll be able to see Odetta Holmes or Ella Shepard or Tiny Davis click on these sculptures. And then once they've done that, they're teleporting into these different scenes. And so once they're inside of these scenes, they'll be able to solve puzzles together through teamwork. They'll be able to get the answers to different clues that they need to look around the room for. And so there's a bunch of different functionalities that we've put into this so that we can kind of really match the energy that the kids usually have when they are interacting with their friends in social spaces at home. Yeah. Tell me more about that energy. I mean, like I had such a traditional pencil and paper education, just memorize, memorize and take the test. What makes the AR experience you're building effective? When kids are outside of the classroom, the way that they really are intaking knowledge and information is extremely visual extremely interactive. They have social media, video games. They're doing everything with their friends online. And so we take that extremely visual and interactive process, and then we take the educational historical content that we have and that kids need to learn, and we blend those things together. You know, I've been speaking to teachers about the challenges they're facing right now, and I feel like they're under so much pressure to make the experience of online learning engaging. And so... To offer a curricula like this, 
I hope this would make that challenge at least a little easier. Do you have a favorite moment from watching students use Unsung? I guess my favorite part was when we were in Cleveland. We had a bunch of kids on the tablet in the experience. That was already a moment of pride for me. But then to have the kids with their tablets really all over the room. <laughs> One student literally got on the floor and was pointing his tablet upside down. And I guess in physical sense, that doesn't make sense. But in the room, it made all the sense in the world. Yeah. And so that was a light bulb moment for me because I knew kids take things to the limit. But that moment right there really solidified how curious kids are, how intuitive a lot of this stuff is. They just picked it up and ran with it. <laughs> You know, it's funny because everyone knows this is how kids are. Like, you're young, you're exploring, you're making all these connections, your brain's just growing and growing. And then it's like, okay, welcome to school. Here's a packet. Here's a worksheet. But I know that a big part of what you do at Movers and Shakers is to make sure that the students who really need this engaging technology, who would gain so much out of this, are actually going to get it. So tell me more about who this is all for. Our demographic that we're focusing on at Movers and Shakers is black and brown communities. It is low-income communities. And so we have high-tech content that we're creating, but the challenge is to get that accessible to everyone and not just the people with a high-end setup. A readily available 5G network would really allow us, first off, to run all of the multiplayer functionality that requires low latency and real-time data. Augmented reality really uses the phone camera in order to understand the world. It uses a lot of processing power in order to manipulate it, modify it, and add digital content into the world that takes the rest of the environment into account. And so that's a really, really smart application. But unfortunately, that requires a lot of computational power. But when you take that processing power and offload it from the phone to the cloud, that means that you're taking off a lot of those limitations in terms of size and data that my team and I and other AR creators are perpetually struggling with. So it won't be the device that determines how good of a learning experience you can have. It's how the network powers the content, like how fast 5G can receive what you're doing as a student, then process it separately to your tablet, then bring you to the next part of the experience in your app. And from what I read, it sounds like your partnership with Verizon helped you figure out a lot of these pieces. So was there a particular moment during the EdTech challenge that things really fell into place? It was a series of surreal moments, to be honest. Being accepted into the 5G EdTech challenge was a surreal experience off of the bat. And then from there, actually going to the first day and being in the same room on the same level, at least in this building, as Tahir Hemphill, Brian Green, Ken Perlin. I mean, Ken Perlin created the noise function. Like, it's these, these are people that I never thought I would be able to interact with. And we were there as peers. And so it was at that moment where I was like, all right. We're doing something right. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it sounds like this program has really helped your team achieve exactly what you set out to do. The great thing about our relationship with Verizon is that they handled a lot, if not all, of the reaching out to schools, communicating with schools. They set up these Verizon 5G labs where we would get the technology in the hands of the kids and at the end of the day, it's a blessing the situation that we're in because 
as I've been talking to other people about my experiences here, it's been clear that we have had the privilege to sit down and focus on what we do best, which is develop and create culturally responsive narratives and curriculum. I think the way that it's worked out has just really given us the freedom to put as much time and energy into the content as possible, and it's created the best possible product and given us a little bit more power in our voice to be able to speak our truth. Idris, the work you're doing at Movers and Shakers is amazing. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. Whether you're a fifth grade teacher, a university professor, a community-driven innovator, or even just a parent trying to help your kids out with their homework, what you're doing is tough. What I'm realizing from these conversations about online learning is that education is so much more than reading, lectures, homework, tests, right or wrong answers. It's a shared human process. So if we want that process to continue being shared, then yeah, we need to keep everyone literally connected and online. 5G could help redefine what we mean by connected. And by recognizing the social importance of education, we can build tools that make learning truly accessible, engaging, and enriching for everyone. On the next episode of Networked, I'll talk with experts in mobile and competitive gaming about why online games are more socially important now than ever, and how the growth of 5G will expand access to advanced multiplayer games in unprecedented ways. To make that jump from, you know, a $500 console to a $5,000 PC, like, that's a world that is such a big jump that those people playing on the console don't even know that that PC world exists. But if they did, they probably would want to compete, right? They'd probably want to continue their journey and their progress within gaming. And that's how cloud gaming is really going to close the gap on the socioeconomic limits that we currently see. That's next time on Networked, the 5G Future, by Verizon and T-Brand at The New York Times. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about how innovators are exploring how to harness the power of 5G, check out the new documentary, Speed of Thought, on Amazon Prime Video or speedofthoughtfilm.com. I'm Christina Warren. See you next time. Verizon just turned on 5G across the country with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband, the fastest 5G in the world. 5G ultra wideband is so fast you can download an album in seconds. Verizon 5G won't just change how your phone works. It will change everything. This is the 5G America's been waiting for only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Global claim based on open signal independent analysis during the period January 31st through April 30th, 2020.